Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. So we're in the final week of our series, Investigating Jesus, How We Know Why We Follow. Is there anything to the story of Jesus? How do we know that Jesus is actually a real historical figure that exactly said what he said, he did what he did, what happened to him really happened to him? And why do we follow? Why do we follow a Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago? What relevance does he have in our lives? And that's why we do this series. And these two questions are so important because the very foundation of Christianity rests on this one single individual called Jesus of Nazareth. That's it. If you want to know what Christianity is all about, that's all about Christianity that you need to know is all about Jesus. Christianity is not about Jonah and the whale. It's not about the story of creation, whether or not God did create the world in six days. The story of the Bible or the, the foundation of Christianity is not even, is the Bible reliable? The foundation of our faith rests on this one person called Jesus of Nazareth. So, if you are investigating Christianity, can I encourage you? You may have a lot of questions in your mind. You may have a lot of unanswered questions. Maybe you are considering leaving Christianity. You too have a lot of questions that are unanswered. Why do bad things happen to good people? Those are all fantastic questions. But at the end of the day, if you want to know absolutely with certainty what is Christianity all about it has to be about Jesus so the question that you should be asking and this is as we summarize our series and make it uh, into a nice little conclusion is this question that you need to ask is Matthew Mark Luke or John a reliable account of the actual events surrounding Jesus if the answer is yes if even one of these accounts either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It doesn't have to be all four. If one of them is actually telling the truth about Jesus, their account is actually reliable, then what they say about Jesus must be true. And if what they say about Jesus is true, then it's game on, then it's faith on, it's worth holding on to your faith if you're a Christian, it's worth exploring more about Christianity if you are exploring Christianity. So you need to ask this very question, which is very important. Is it True, And as we found out for the last five weeks, um, over this one biography of Jesus Christ called the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, uh, we found out that, hey, this account concerning Jesus must be reliable. Luke was so careful to record every single detail of all the events surrounding Jesus, including his birth. And when he was writing all this account, he was not writing the Bible. He didn't know he was writing the Bible. The Gospel of Luke was not included in our Bible until much later. Luke was not even writing a religious account. He didn't think he was writing a religious account but he was actually writing a historical event that really did happen, that changed people's lives, that changed his life. And what happened, the reason why the story of Jesus is worth telling is actually what happened to Jesus at the end of his life. That makes his whole story worth telling. And as we conclude our series, we're gonna look at the end of Jesus' life that makes his whole story worth telling and so this is so appropriate we didn't actually plan this to 
be this good, but as we approach Good Friday, as we approach Easter, it is so fitting that we look at the last days in the life of Jesus Christ, and we read from the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 23, verse 33, we read it this way. When they came to the place called the Skull, or Golgotha, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And that's it. Luke did not say anything else about the crucifixion. You know why? Because everyone who read his writing knew exactly what the crucifixion was. Everybody knew. Crucifixion was not invented by Rome, but Rome perfected it. It was designed to uh, inflict as much pain as possible to the worst of criminals, right? It was designed to be not just a torture, it was designed to be an object lesson. It was designed to be a deterrent. People who are crucified on the cross are only the worst criminals. It was so bad. Being crucified is so painful that the Roman citizens are not allowed to be crucified no matter how bad you are. So this is a deterrent for those who choose to go against Rome. You might be in trouble. You might be crucified. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. And so without further explanation, Luke simply wrote, at this place called the skull, they crucified Jesus along with two other criminals. And this is what happened next. And Jesus said something unthinkable, something illogical, something that you could never fathom, no matter how hard you try, right? Imagine this. When Jesus was saying this, he was deep in pain. He was up there on the cross, barely able to breathe, and he was experiencing the most excruciating pain any human being could ever bear. And out of this context, right, in this situation, Jesus said something unbelievable, never been said by anyone before or maybe ever since in history, okay? And this is something that he aspires all of you as his followers to also do. And this is what Jesus said. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's obvious that they don't know what they're doing. They think they know what they're doing, but they don't, they don't know. They think they're crucifying a criminal, but they don't know what they're doing. You know how we know they don't know what they're doing? They were casting lot. As Jesus was saying this statement, they were busy throwing dice, casting lot. Who gets to keep the rope that belongs to Jesus? And this is what Jesus said. You know, when you have 1,001 things going through your mind, when all you can feel in your body is this excruciating pain, how can you say such a thing, right? And then we're talking about Jesus here, by the way. We're talking about the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. We're talking about the same Jesus who fed 5,000 people. We're talking about the same Jesus who calmed the storm. We're talking about the same Jesus who turned water into wine. He could easily, with a flick of his finger, send legions of angels to come and protect him and kill all those murderers. But instead, the only thing that came from his mouth is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And we shouldn't be surprised that this came from the mouth of Jesus. Because if you read all the way to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, right? 
This is so Jesus. That's why a lot of things that Jesus did and said only made sense when you think about how he ended his life at the end. When Jesus said, love your enemies. When Jesus says, when someone strike you on the cheek, give the other cheek also. When someone asks you for something, give something more. This is Jesus, right? So you shouldn't be surprised. Even earlier, you know, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples tried to protect him. Peter, you know, took out his sword and sliced one of the ears of the gods. And then Jesus stopped Peter. He was actually angry at Peter and he said, Peter, stop it. No more of this. No more. Don't do this. This is not the way of the kingdom. This is the way of the world. This is not my way. This is not what I've been teaching you. No more of this. No more of this. And with that, a lot of Jesus' followers actually unfollow Jesus. With that, a lot of followers of Jesus canceled on Jesus. You think the cancel culture is new? No. They canceled on Jesus as soon as they knew that Jesus just, in their mind, gave up. Jesus didn't even resist anything. They were hoping Jesus would free them from the tyranny of Rome. They were hoping that Jesus would be the warrior that they were, they were hoping for, the, the Messiah, the King that they were hoping for. But as soon as they realized Jesus didn't resist anything, He was going to get caught, we might get caught together with Him. Oh no, this is too big a price to pay. We're out of here, including Peter. We're out of here. You see, Jesus had many admirers, but very few followers. Jesus had many admirers, but very few followers. Because being a follower of Jesus means you got to be ready to pay the price. you got to be ready to pay the price. You see, being a follower of Jesus is countercultural. Being a follower of Jesus means you don't get to set the tone. You let Jesus set the tone. The way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, is so in opposition to the way of the world that nobody could understand it. Even his followers couldn't understand it. But you know what? When you see that happening before your eyes, when you see the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom actually happening in this dark, dark world, you'll be taken aback. You'll be taken by surprise. You think, wow, so refreshing, so unusual. I wish I could do that. Let me introduce you to Myra Thompson. Myra Thompson, a wonderful wife, a loving mother, but most importantly, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. On September 17, 2015, Myra Thompson was leading a Bible study at his church in Charleston, North Carolina, when a white supremacist, a 21-year-old white supremacist by the name of Dylan Roof, came into the church and killed her along with eight other parishioners in that church. Nine people died that night. See, Myra's husband, Anthony Thompson, is the pastor of that church. And he recounted the story how Myra left the house that evening so excited to lead the Bible study because she had prepared a great lesson on the parable of the sowers. But that night, Myra Thompson was no more. What's even more amazing about this story was that 48 hours later, the Reverend Anthony Thompson appeared at the bail hearing of his wife's murderer 
And right there and then, publicly, he declared that he forgives Dylan Roof, the murderer of his wife. And not only that, if you think that's enough, he said he promised to pray for his salvation. How like Jesus is that? How countercultural is that? How weak is that? How passive is that? How, like, you should cry foul. You should demand justice. You should do what everybody else does in this world. You know, strike back, right? Strike back. But not Anthony Thompson. Because Anthony Thompson is a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you hear a story like this, you know, you, you, you couldn't imagine if it was you, you know, maybe some of you would even label him as weak, as, as spineless. But deep down inside, when we hear a story like this, I don't know about you, when I hear a story like this, I know I should know better. We all know that, we all know better, right? And Jesus actually invites us to be that better. And Jesus actually died that better. He died not opening his mouth. He died like a lamb led to the slaughter. This is Jesus. And that's why, Je- that's why Luke thought his story is worth telling because it's so different from the, all the other greats of this world. His story definitely is worth telling. And that's why a lot of people's lives are changed. Not because so much of his teaching. His teaching is fantastic. His teaching is wonderful, right? But the way he lived his life, the way he set an example by the way he lived, that's what caught people's attention. And that's why Luke said, man, I got to preserve his story. I got to tell the whole world about Jesus. In fact, he documents the actual invitation of Jesus, right? Before this event, Jesus issues this very specific invitation to his followers to come and follow him and adopt this lifestyle that he has set for them. The lifestyle of surrender, the lifestyle of trust, the lifestyle of grace, the lifestyle of mercy. Jesus invites his followers to follow him in this way. So in Luke chapter 9, we read this, and I, I kind of mentioned this on our Vision Sunday, last Sunday. Uh, that was taken from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the parallel story to what Luke was writing. And this is what Luke writes. The word of Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. If anyone desires to come after me, if you want to join this movement that I started, Jesus said, if you want to come after me, it's open to everybody. Everybody can come after me. Everyone can join in this movement. But if you do want to join in this movement, here's what you got to do. You got to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means you know that you are no longer in the driver's seat. You know that you are no longer calling the shot. You know that life is no longer about you. You know that and you decide that you are no longer be appetite driven. You're going to be no more driven by your ambition. That you're going to give up control to this person that you are following called Jesus Christ. That's what it means to deny yourself. It doesn't mean you can't have a career. It doesn't mean you can't have a family. It doesn't mean you can't have aspiration. You can't have all that, obviously. But it means it's no longer just about that. 
Now, everything that you do, everything that you say, has to be seen in the context of Jesus, in the context of the kingdom of God. And that's why Paul says, everything that you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all in the name of Jesus, do it all for the kingdom, do it all for the king of kings, right? That's what it means to deny yourself. You say, Jesus, you take the will. Jesus, you take charge. Jesus, I'm taking the back seat. I'll follow you wherever you go. Not only do you deny yourself, but you got to take up your cross. It is self-explanatory what it means to take up your cross. Cross is not just this little shiny thing that you wear on your neck. Cross is a symbol of death. It could be literal, it could be symbolic, but you must be willing and ready to die following Jesus. And this is the key word. Jesus says, and you got to do this daily. You got to do this daily. It's wonderful that you pray a sinner's prayer to put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation, for your eternal life, and that's fantastic. I'm all for that, right? But this is the difference between a believer and a follower. It's fantastic that you are a believer. I'm a believer in Jesus as well. I am secure in my eternal life. I know where I'm going when I die because salvation, eternal life, is not about what you do to get there. It's all about what Jesus has done for you. Salvation is only by grace through faith. It's not at all by your, what, your sacrifice for Jesus. It's not at all by reading of the Bible, going to church. It's all about believing and trusting God. But the difference between a believer and a follower is... A follower understands what it takes, what it costs to follow Jesus daily. It means you wake up every morning saying no to yourself and saying yes to Jesus and seeing everything in the context of that. And why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this? You don't have to. See, Jesus gives you the option. If you desire to come after me, come. But this is the consequence, right? you got to do this. But if you don't want to come after me, you don't, you don't want to join the movement, that's fine too. That's up to you. If you want to live independent, small, appetite-driven, consumer-driven, clinging to things, that's up to you. That's another choice of lifestyle. You can for sure do that. That's one option. Or you can choose the other option and follow Jesus and live a totally different kind of life. And here's what happened. If you choose one lifestyle over the other, you will experience the consequence as well. Because Jesus says this as he continues, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So if you choose to live small, if you choose to live independent, if you choose to live appetite-driven, that's, that's up to you. But you know what happens when you do that? You will actually lose your life when you think that you're gaining control, you're getting everything under your own control. You're actually losing control. You're losing everything. But when you say, here, Lord, take my life, do whatever you wish, that's when you will actually find your life, a life that is truly life. And then Jesus ends his challenge to his followers with a question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose or forfeit their very self. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. You gotta know what game you're playing. You gotta understand what game you're playing. You don't want to get to the end of your life and realize 
I've been playing the wrong game all along. I thought I was winning in this game. Actually, I was winning, but the game doesn't even matter. I'm playing a totally different game that I don't really want to play. Jesus says, what good is it? You thought you were winning. You thought you were gaining. But at the end, you realize, oh no, I'm playing the wrong game here. What good is it? Jesus said. Of course, it's good for nothing. You see, whatever you cling to actually deteriorate. You know that? Anything that you cling to actually will deteriorate in your life. If you hold on to seed in your palm, they're going to rot. But if you sow that seed, they're going to flourish, right? When you say, I'm going to lose this seed, I'm just going to throw it out there. That's when you're going to see life. That's when you're going to see growth. That's exactly what Jesus is inviting you to. So Jesus is not inviting you to lose your life. Jesus is inviting you to throw your life so wide and, and, and expans, expansive and, and, and gracious. And in doing so, you will actually gain your life a whole lot more than you ever thought possible. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's why when Luke was writing this, he said, I got to tell this to everybody so that the, the next generation and the generation after that, the gener generation after that will understand what it means to trust Jesus and follow Jesus. I want to show you this very short video clip. I want to uh, apologize for the quality of this video clip because I got it from, from, uh, from Instagram. But this describes in a simplistic way, one of the ways that people choose to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back Though none go with me Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I Let me ask you, are you an admirer of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Jesus has lots and lots of admirers. Even non-Christians admire Jesus. They don't have any problems with Jesus. Actually, there are a lot of people are inspired, including Gandhi. He's so inspired by the life of Jesus. Tons of admirers of Jesus but very few followers of Jesus Christ. Which one are you? Are you an admirer or are you a follower? That guy that you see on that video, he clearly is a follower of Jesus. But my question is, where is everybody in that church? Right? 
How many admirers does that just have? Where are the other followers? I'm not saying that a disabled person cannot help clean the church. Sure you can, right? But where are the others? You see, this is the biggest problem that we face in our world today. Do you know, according to the ABC News report, in the last 18 months, this is a report that came in 2021, in the last 18 months, 300 churches closed down in Australia. 300 churches closed down in Australia in the last 18 months. This is according to the 2021 report. Why? Because churches are filled with too many admirers of Jesus, not enough followers, not enough people to say, yes, God, whatever it takes, I will do it. Whatever it takes. If it takes me to forgive my neighbors, if it takes me to go the extra mile, if it takes me my hard-earned dollar, if it takes me giving up my rights, I'll do it because I want to be your follower. So my question to you this morning before we close is this. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow yourself? Follow your appetite? Follow your ambition? Or are you going to follow Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if you're not a Christian yet, I want to encourage you to start considering as well following this person called Jesus. He's done so much for you that you don't even know. This weekend, we're going to celebrate his death and resurrection. That's the best thing that he could ever do for you. And all you need to do is just to trust him and accept his death as a payment for your sin. Now you are no longer uh, guilty. God sees you righteous because of what Jesus has done. That's the invitation of Jesus to you, to accept that free gift of salvation. But he also invites you to follow him. He invites you to take his path. He invites you to take the narrow road to follow him. Because following Jesus is worth it. It's not always the easiest, but it is worth it. Not only for yourself, but also for the people around you. This is Jesus' plan A for this world. He doesn't have any plan B. In Matthew 28, he says, Go into all the world. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded them. And I've commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to show you another testimony. This one is one of our very own, uh, Evie Dodge. She's one of the young adults in our church. And I heard his, her wonderful story of what it means to follow Jesus. And I thought, this is so inspiring. You need to hear it. So here's Evie. Faith has always been a part of my life since I was really young. When I graduated school, I wanted to become a paramedic and commenced university studies right away. But during my first year, I started to become very unwell. Up until this point, I'd always been such a healthy child, so this was a complete mystery and a hurdle in my path. I was constantly tired, feeling nauseous, in pain, dizzy, and experiencing more confusing symptoms. I visited countless doctors and specialists, and I eventually discovered that I had a connective tissue disorder which had caused me to develop a condition called gastroparesis. Gastroparesis meant I experienced excruciating stomach pain after the smallest amounts of food, constant nausea, fatigue and more. It meant that the nerves and muscles in my stomach couldn't work properly and food wouldn't digest. Doctors tried many kinds of medication and treatments, including a pacemaker for the stomach. 
two years after being diagnosed, I had a feeding tube placed through my nose, which later became an even more invasive kind, one that was surgically placed through my abdomen um, and into my intestines. Being tube-fed placed many limitations on my life, um, including the ability to work, socialise, drive, everything was so restricted. Within the span of 18 months, I'd had 13 different surgical procedures. My body was no longer the way it used to be and my life looked very different to how I pictured it. Despite this, I still strongly believed that God had put me in this position for a reason. He was in the middle of this. I did question God's plan, but my faith in Him was strong. I continued to follow Jesus and trust in the plan that was set out for me. I kept slipping further and further away from the healthy image of myself I so longed to get back to. Eventually, I became so underweight and unstable that I was fully admitted to hospital in 2020. The day before I went in, I completed this painting of Jesus with the caption, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I had no clue that the very next day I would be admitted for two long months. Psalm 27 was and still is my prayer. The Lord is my light and salvation, so why shall I be afraid? This admission was the loneliest and the most difficult time I'd ever experienced. I wondered what God was doing. By this point, I was honestly close to not making it. My heart and other organs had started to become affected by the condition I was going through. I felt like a shell of myself. I prayed every day, and so did my amazing family and my friends around me. Then, one day, it started to change. The doctors still don't know how it happened, but all I know is that I was healed. It was a slow process of many, many months. I slowly regained the ability to eat, as well as develop physical strength for day-to-day -day living. It's a miracle, and I can only describe it as a God-given miracle. The next few years haven't always been easy. My body is far from perfect, and I still have varying health problems that I will always have to deal with. For a while, I did blame myself for everything. Emotionally, it was really hard, and it still can be but I praise and I thank God every day because he gave me a new lease of life. This is where joining a small group really impacted my life. When I joined a small group here at The Rocks, um, it became like a family to me. I am reminded every day that following Jesus doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. There are still so many questions that I still don't have answers to, but we're told that we're not supposed to find all the answers. We're just told to be obedient and follow Jesus no matter the cost. Wow. I don't know if you recognize Evie or not, but she was in our uh, The Rock Celebrate Christmas as one of the singers, one of the dancers, and she was in the choir during our Vision Sunday. Despite her continued challenge with her health and all that, she continued to decide to follow Jesus no matter what and use the time that she has to continue to serve God. And it is so inspiring when we see people deciding to follow Jesus instead of just becoming a believer of Jesus. And so, I want to ask you again. The choice is yours. Are you just going to be an admirer of Jesus? A fan of Jesus? Or are you going to be a follower of Jesus? If you decide to be a follower of Jesus, how you live your life at home needs to change. 
You need to be a better husband. You need to be a better wife, a better parent. How you conduct your life in the office probably needs to change. How you conduct yourself in social media maybe needs to change. See, Jesus doesn't need a defender. He doesn't need a lawyer. You don't need to be a keyboard warrior for Jesus. You need to show grace. You need to show forgiveness. You need to show love. That's the way of Jesus. Maybe the world will say you're weak, you're spineless, you don't have strong conviction. No. The way of the kingdom is different than the way of the world. Maybe the way you interact with your church needs to be different. Maybe you need to be more engaged with the church. Maybe some of you need to give more. You haven't been giving and you haven't been participating. Last Sunday, we have Vision Sunday and we encourage people to support the, the big vision and mission that God has entrusted us as a church. Maybe that's what you need to do. You need to start becoming a kingdom builder who doesn't just give sporadically when you have money, but to actually set aside a certain percentage of your income consistently. Whether you see the need or not, you know this is the right thing to do. Or maybe some of you need to start serving, getting involved, not only in our church, in, in our community. Give blood, help clean the Canning River, do something. Don't just sit there and do nothing and be admirers of Jesus. We need more followers of Jesus. And when we do, imagine how powerful our church will be. When I say powerful, I'm not talking about just powerful, powerful fame. I'm talking about the impact that we can make in our community. Imagine what we can do together when every single one of you decides to be a follower of Jesus. And that's why Luke says, I need to write this. This is too good to let it stop in this generation. Everybody needs to know what it means to trust in Jesus and to follow Jesus. Everything is well documented. You can research it. You can find secular historians telling exactly the same thing about who Jesus was, what he did. You can trust him for your life, both now here on earth and for eternity. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand on our feet as we close our time together? It is a custom in our church to be dismissed by receiving a prayer of blessing. And after the prayer of blessing, if you need some prayers, please come forward. Our prayer leaders will be standing here. They would love to pray for you. And don't forget to grab those cards and, and start praying for who you can ask to join Alpha, who you can ask to come to our Good Friday or Easter gathering. And trust that God is going to lead you to someone. Imagine if every one of you bring a person. Wow, this place will be packed. It will be so wonderful. The gospel will be preached. I'll be preaching. On Good Friday, Tim will be preaching here on Easter Sunday and it's going to be fantastic. And, and Gordon is going to be preaching on Good Friday at Baldivis. I'll be preaching Easter in Baldivis. It's going to be a celebration of the resurrected life of Jesus in this local community. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.